I'm going to talk to you today a little bit from uh, Romans. Um, the first part of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, addresses salvation by faith. And then the second part of Romans, 12 through, chapters 12 through 16, regards the duties of us as Christians. But we're going to focus primarily today on chapter 8. Um, Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Rome to give instruction on how to live in the Spirit and how to love, know that the love of God has for his church. Paul understood God's love for us and that living in the darkness of life on earth didn't mean that God loves us any less by letting us experience the things that happen to us in life. We go through the life, go through this life led by the Spirit and walking in God's love. God's great desire is for us to be with him from the very first day when he created Adam and Eve and um, the Garden of Eden to today with all of us here. He wants to have a one-on-one relationship with each one of us. He has sacrificed all that he has to bring us into a relationship with him and to show us how much he loves us. He wants us to understand how secure our relationships with him are and that he wants us to understand that in these relationships, he is the foundation of it and he's what holds it together. He paid the ultimate price to have this relationship with us, and he wants us to know that no matter what, our relationship with him cannot be lost or taken away from us. No circumstances or hardships that we may find ourselves in that would test our relationship with him will ever pull us away from him. He is always faithful to us. And you may ask, why does God value the relationship with us so much? The answer is simple, and it's because he loves us. This is something I had to learn as a young Christian. Even though I grew up in church and I went to church, I went to Sunday school every Sunday morning, and I always heard how much God loved me, but I really had to take hold of that for myself. As I became a teenager, I sometimes felt like God just tolerated me. (laughs) And sometimes I felt like I would have to get saved every week when I came back to church. Um, But it wasn't until my walk with God really began to grow deeper that I understood how much God loved me and how God's love had been there all along from the beginning. I knew the ways that I had failed as a Christian. I knew the things I had done, and I sometimes wondered if God would ever forgive me for these things, or if, if he could forgive me, or if he even wanted to forgive me for these things. But I learned that God still desired to have an intimate relationship with me. It was in Romans 8 that it was Romans 8 that helped me understand that in some ways I was condemning myself 
It says, who is he that condemns? Well, I found that in some cases it was me. I wouldn't forgive myself for things that I'd done. I sometimes thought, well, you know, does, does God even want to forgive me of that? We find ourselves believing God wouldn't or didn't want to, but I did finally learn that after seeking him and understanding that as I made him a priority, he took first place in my life, and then that started to change things for me. You know, when I was at preparing this message, I asked my wife, Valerie, when was it that you first understood how much God loved you? And she told me that it was um, one day when she was sitting on the porch watching our son Trey playing in the front yard. He was about four years old. And he was running and laughing and just having a great time just being outside. And uh, she was watching him, and she was in, just enjoyed seeing him so full of joy. And she said, I thought to myself, God, after everything I've done, can you ever see me like this again? As a, as a little child enjoying just running and playing and being in your presence. She said, then God spoke to my heart saying, I'm still right here. I didn't leave you. You left me. God takes joy in just having us as his children. He enjoys us being in his presence. And in Mark chapter 10, God tells us that we have to be like children to enter into the kingdom of God. As children of, the king, uh, as children of his kingdom, he has invited us, in Hebrews 4.16, to come before his throne boldly and confidently to ask for whatever we need to live the lives that he's called us to. He provides everything we need to serve him and show his love to others. God has rescued us from an eternal death and brought us into his son's kingdom. He restored what we had lost when Adam and Eve disobeyed. He created a place for us to be with him in the beginning, a place for us to know him and to be in fellowship with him. That was the Garden of Eden. But our sin, or the sin of mankind, caused us to be cast out and separated from a face-to-face relationship with God. That's what we were to have in the garden with him. He would come down every day and talk to Adam and just walk through the garden with him and visit with him. That's the kind of relationship that was lost from the garden. But then God provided a way to reconcile us to him, to restore us to his kingdom. Our sins had to be atoned for with a sacrifice that was beyond question, a sacrifice that would leave no room for doubt that our sins would be covered and paid for now and forever. In Colossians 1, 13, 13 and 14, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. 
God has brought us into the kingdom of his son's love, a kingdom built and sustained through the power of God's love, God's love for his son, and his love for us. John's word in 15, 9, uh, 15, chapter 15, verse 9, tells us that Jesus loves us the same way his father loves him. We are no less valued by God than Jesus is. Jesus loves us so, uh, Jesus' love for us is so great that our human minds can't comprehend it. Ephesians 3.9 describes it as love that surpasses our knowledge. Fortunately, we don't have to understand it completely to live in God's love. He gives it freely as a gift, and God is love. And since God is love, it's in his nature to give it's, a, it's at his core to give. God the Father gave what was best for the human race, his son Jesus. He gave the best that he had for what would be the best for us. So, so now we've seen the price that God was willing to pay for us and how valuable we are to him and how much he loves us. So, Having paid such a price, God will not let anything separate us from his love. In Romans 8, Paul wrote how nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love is fully expressed, was fully expressed when Jesus gave himself to be sacrificed on the cross. Paul writes about the hardships he faced and that he was able to endure them because of, he knew how much God loved him. Paul and Silas had experienced being stripped and beaten with rods, then flogged and thrown into prison, and they had been put in stocks with their feet locked in place in a dark prison cell. And in spite of the circumstances they found themselves in, they knew they were in God's love. As the other prisoners were listening, Paul and Silas began to sing and praise, uh, praise God with hymns, and soon, an earthquake shook the prison, and God came into that cell. God was in the prison cell with them. They praised him and worshiped him in that cell, and praise and worship opens the doors and welcomes God's presence into any situation that you may be in. The word says that their feet were set free from the stocks and the cell doors flew open and everyone, everyone's chains fell free. God's love filled the prison and the jailer, along with his family, were saved. God isn't just watching from above. He comes down and dwells with us where we're at, just like Paul and Silas in prison. We were never alone. We're never without him. This was just one incident in Paul's ministry. He had been stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked multiple times, adrift at sea for a night and a day, arrested multiple times. His life threatened many times, and he'd been snake bit. So we have Paul, the voice of experience, writing to us in Romans 8, 
telling us that whatever hardship or trouble we face, nothing shall separate us from the love of God and that we are more than conquerors. He had gone through these hardships himself, and he knew that he was in Christ's love because he was following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew, uh, Paul had come to know the love of God with an absolute confidence, and he wants us to know it too. So in his letter to the Romans, he writes in Romans eight thirty-five through 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage of Scripture is clear that nothing that happens to us, either in the physical realm or the spiritual realm, can separate us from the love of God. We sometimes face obstacles and trials in our lives, things that seem like they're just too big to handle. And we go through a crisis and we often lose our perspective and our focus. We go through them and we get to the other side and we wonder, well, where was God in that? Or we get to go through the fire and feel like we failed We feel like Jesus wasn't with us because something bad happened, happened to us, and we may begin to think that maybe I've done something wrong. Jesus has taken his hand off of me since I messed things up, and he let me go through this trial by myself. I know that if I were sitting in prison and having been beaten and wrongfully accused, that might cross my mind. Just being honest there. The truth is that Our flesh is rising up and thinking that I'm facing a hard time or trial and God's not there. That's actually the opposite of reality. God never said that we wouldn't have, um, that we wouldn't have lives without problems or trials. He did say that whatever we face, he would be with us. We wouldn't have to go through it alone. And in the midst of our struggle, we have to look to God and recognize that his power and presence is carrying us through. Nothing that ever happens to us will ever separate us from his love. Scripture says that these things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, or sword, we are more than conquerors. The scripture doesn't say that these things won't happen. And it's telling us that when these things do happen, we stand against them and we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. When I was looking up this scripture, I thought originally it said, what can separate us from the love of God? I hear it quoted that way sometimes. The scripture actually says, who shall separate us from the love of God? 
Yet the scripture follows with things that happen to us, things that for the most part are beyond our control. Hardship, persecution, famine, life and death. These are things that happen to us and they cannot separate us from the love of God. So is there anything that will separate us from God? Well, I think that this is the reason it says in the scripture who instead of what. We are the who in that scripture. Our sin will separate us from the kingdom of God. And we have to make a distinction here. God loves us even in our sin, but our sin in our sin we are not yet part of the kingdom of God. We must repent and be saved and turn away from our sin to enter into the kingdom of God. His love is always there for us, and it will never be withheld by God. But we have to accept the gift of salvation that he's given to us. And we cannot live in sin or turn our backs on God and go back to a sinful life and expect to be part of the kingdom of God. Paul wrote that nothing can separate us from the love of God, but he also wrote in Galatians that sin separates us from the kingdom of God. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's coming from the same person that said what can separate us from, or who can separate us from the love of God. That's pretty clear, and it says that these sins just listed are the obvious ones. It covers a spectrum of sin, and it didn't even cover the Ten Commandments. All these things described in verses 19 through 21 demonstrate a separation from God's kingdom. They certainly don't demonstrate a separation from the world. It says all those who live like this will not see the kingdom of God. So who shall separate us from the love of God? The answer is still no one, not even us. But our thoughts and actions, our sin, can separate us from the kingdom of God. Paul said that those who have minds set on the sinful nature will live according to the sinful nature. And those who have their minds set on the spirit will live according to the spirit. It comes down to the choice you make on how you will live your life. With that thought in mind, any measure of separation between us and God should at least be a warning signal or raise red flags that your relationship with God needs attention. Being separated from God's kingdom is a choice. We have a free will, as we've seen in, in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. The choice is in the Garden of Eden. God didn't remove the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from the Garden because he was giving us a choice. He knew he wants us to choose him. 
your choice is valuable, and it is part of what makes your your free will is part of what makes choosing God such a high value to Him. <clears throat> so, what do we do when we feel like a separation? from God and his love is happening in our lives. When you start to feel like you haven't heard from God in a while, what do you do to close the gap? Well, you circle back to the basics. Here's a few points to remember. Number one, make God the priority in your life. When we get busy and in a rush, Often the first casualty of our time crunch is the time we spend with the Lord. We have to make an effort to put God first in our thoughts for the day. Staying close to God is not something that can happen on autopilot. It takes effort. You need to make the effort. Staying close to God, we have to treat that time with God with the respect and reverence it deserves. And if we do this, it will change the course of our day and set the pace even if we have a full day ahead of us. You will start the day with God instead of Him being an afterthought. You will likely find your day will be more productive anyway if you put Him first. So, as far as the basics are concerned, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of it and His righteousness, And all these things will be added unto you. Make God the priority. Number two, hold up your end of the conversation. Pray. Read your Bible. Don't skip a day. When you communicate with God, be sure to listen. Pray about everything. God doesn't get bored when you're communicating with him, and you're not a burden to him. You're not a bother. He delights in hearing your prayers and your worship. The more you pray to him with an open heart, the more you'll hear from him, and the more you will see him move in your life. Matthew 7, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, that's the ask, seek, knock scripture. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Number three, go to church. Don't avoid God's people. There's real strength to be found in fellowshipping with people of like-minded faith. There's an old saying that there's strength in numbers. Well, that's, that's a cliche, but things become cliches because they're true. In recent years, there's a popular term that you would hear in business called the word synergy. Synergy is defined as the interaction of two or more agents or forces so that their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual effects. That's what a gathering of believers should be like. Matthew 18 through 20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, number four, 
don't go back to living life the way you used to. Don't let your old lifestyle come back in and draw you back into a life you left behind. Even if the things of your old life, that even the things of your old life that seem like little things that won't matter, they may take you back into doing things that you were set free of in the first place. Don't go back. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if we are one in Christ is a new creation and has come, old things have gone and the new is here. So, and this is very short, but in closing today, that if you find yourself feeling distant from God or that you feel like your relationship with Him is slipping, Make God the priority and talk to God. Listen to Him and come, you know, keep yourself in church and do the basics. Like the story I was telling you earlier about Valerie, uh, God said, I'm still here. I didn't leave. I'm still here. So if you feel like there's any separation from between you and God, then come and talk to Him now. The altars are going to be open. Or you can kneel at your seats if you prefer. But don't let another minute go by without any, with any separation between you and the Father. You're a part of the kingdom, and his love for you never fails. So we're going to take a few minutes and pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that as we... As we leave here today, that you would just help us to remember that you are here for us, that you are here waiting for us, and that your arms are open to receive us anytime we come before you. I pray, Father, for everyone that has heard this message, that their communication with you is open and free, and that your blessings flow into their lives, and that they know how much they are loved and treasured by you. I just ask for your blessings on everyone today. We thank you, Lord, as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen.